1: Tyler Friel may not be a name that you're very familiar with. Tyler's from Fairbanks, Alaska, but he is a phenomenal writer that writes very regularly for Outdoor Life magazine. Tyler's writings was what brought forward the situation that's happening in Alaska. The federal overreach when it comes to denying resident hunters as well as non-resident hunters the ability to hunt in a specific area that was about 60 million acres what you'll find out from this conversation is that there's three more proposals on the table to do exactly the same thing and thanks to Tyler we're able to keep our fingers essentially on the pulse so learn a little plant that seed and spread the message about these kinds of things are happening right under our noses and you as american citizens have the opportunity at every juncture to voice your opinions so unbelievably you and I have a common friend who lives halfway around the world
2: yeah was that Sean, Sean Porter there Sean Porter gosh how do you know Sean Porter Oh the world of social media man he uh he started he I can't remember I don't know if it was social media or my podcast first that that got us linked up but yeah it it is what it is now there's no one doing it.
1: But isn't it amazing the world of social media that you just meet people we've never met we've chatted a couple of times over Instagram message and it's amazing how small the world has has truly become because of social media right
2: yeah oh yeah it's it's incredible and i think there's you know there's there's obviously some some scary scary parts of that but there's also some really good parts of that too you know as as far as I don't know, in just life in general, but in a, in a hunting community context, you know, there's things that we're having to learn and adapt to and be careful of, but, you know, it also can be used to strengthen our like, whole hunting community as a whole, I believe anyway, certainly get to meet a lot of, get to convert, you know, quote unquote, meet and converse with a lot of people that you never would have otherwise. It's cool.
1: Absolutely, no, absolutely. the The global fingerprint of blood origins would not be the way that it is twenty five years ago, thirty years ago. Nope. You know, today it's social media is both a blessing and a scourge, unfortunately, to hunting. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is the world that we live in. I'm scared to think what the world looks like in five, ten, ten years in terms of social media. Maybe it's gone. Who knows?
2: Well, it was only it was a. Uh... something had been, had got me thinking about this. It would only be, it was only about 10 years ago. I tried to put my finger on the time. I think it was, it was around 2010 or 2011 that, um, you know, on Facebook had already blown up, but that's when I first started noticing or being whether they, what they did with their algorithms. That's when I first started noticing and connecting with other people, you know, who are, obviously hunters even though i had never met them and it was like that was kind of the beginning of it before that it was all still you know people i knew or within a circle you know to second degree of people i knew or had met and it really blew up from there in some ways not in good some ways not good but but other ways have been really really cool and interesting
1: so you currently are in where in alaska are you
2: in Fairbanks, Alaska, basically right in the middle.
1: Okay. I've never been to Fairbanks. I think I may try and get there this year, actually. You should. You have a university there that has a, a project that we're working on behind the scenes that nobody actually knows about, but they'll know now. Three people will know now because only three people listen to my podcast. <laughs> um, we're actually doing a big bird project on a guy called Henry Springer, and the bird oh, lab cool. used to be named after henry springer at the university of fairbanks they took his name off of the ornithology lab because he pled guilty in a federal Lacey act case oh and the only reason he pled guilty was because he was dying of cancer um super intriguing story that we've been working on for about a year now already so
2: yeah well you have to let me know if you're
1: but introductions
2: let me know if you're coming up i
1: will (laughs) i will i will so, Fairbanks, Alaska, Tyler Friel, welcome to the Blood Origins Podcast. Do you want to just give a little bit of a bio introduction for yourself? Yeah, I'll do the best
2: I can. Uh, I, I I, guess, you know, bio, I was born in, in Southern Colorado, grew up there till I was 16, and then uh, have lived in Fairbanks, Alaska ever since. So it's, uh, I'm 35 now, so you can do the math but it's been been over my half my life i've been in fairbanks and uh my dad was born and grew up here so it's really home and you know from a very young age i hunted like i was disease i had a disease for it <laughs> and i've just been obsessed my entire life and and that hasn't changed being up here um i didn't oh, get yeah, into you're living a in
1: hunter's paradise <laughs> now up there yeah. right?
2: yeah it's not a matter of having an opportunity it's which opportunities are you going to devote your time to um i've done uh, a lot of sheep uh doll sheep hunting in my life moose hunting bear hunting um just whatever whatever i can do that's been my passion and uh, i've been writing for outdoor life magazine for the past 10 years um you know kind of as a as a side job a little bit and then and more involved and i've seems like i'm doing more and more for them all the time but yeah that's i mean in a in a nutshell that's it i've been i've been doing a podcast of my own for a couple years figured i would jump on this band bandwagon and and that's been a lot of fun and Uh, get to share, you know, it's primarily to share, you know, our hunting experiences and talk to people who live up here that no one would ever know about, but do have some really, really great experience and, uh, and get to do a lot of really neat
1: stuff. Yeah. I can't wait one day, one day I'll be bucket listing Alaska for sure. And a South African will be knocking on your door. So.
2: Yeah. I got to go to South Africa in 2019 and, It was, it was a media hunt I've written, I've written for outdoor, I've been a writer for 10 years and I've done two, what they call media hunts in that time, you know, which a lot of writers, um, especially that live in places that aren't like, don't have the opportunity I have, you know, you, you go on these sort of sponsored hunts and it helps you get to use products and generate content and see new hunt, new places and stuff. But anyway, I got the offer to go on a five day trip to South Africa. And it took me a whole day to decide because it wasn't, I wasn't sure if it was going to be worth the flying there to do it. I didn't have real high expectations, but I was blown away. I would have got, as soon as I got back, I would have got right back on a plane and gone back to to do it again. (laughs) It was, it was, it was a completely different experience, hunting experience that I'm used to, but the fun to the, the, the fun to work ratio was very favorable and it was uh, it was just incredible. And I, I every day I think about going back.
1: Mm-hmm. No, you must, you must. Well, we obviously got connected uh, because of your writings in outdoor life. You've been featured quite heavily here in the last couple of weeks, and I'm glad you talked about opportunities. You know, you talk about Alaska and the Great Frontier and having all your opportunities. You got all these doll sheep on the wall behind you. you talked about moose hunting. You talked about bear hunting. I'm assuming you've gone caribou hunting. Yeah. Um, but your, the, the the thing I wanted to talk about today was opportunities, which is that there are, there are moves afoot right now to limit opportunities in Alaska for hunters, specifically non-residents, but also residents. And so let's, uh, let's wind the clock back a little bit, because I know there's a couple of things on the horizon that I wanted to touch, but let's wind the clock back we had an issue that got a lot of attention uh which was the federal lands being removed for both resident and non-resident hunters such that only indigenous individuals could hunt those lands uh do you want to give a little summary on on where we are with that and and where that fell out
2: yeah and it and it wasn't just indigenous although a lot of the a lot of the people that live in in these areas um are are native alaskans um the, the, the basis is where you, where you live. So this special action, and one of these, the, the reason I think all of this is coming about is one of these snuck through and passed in, uh, in some area South of me in a game unit there, a bunch of federal BLM land was closed to what they call it is it's open only to qualified federal subsistence users um which if once you chase all the definitions down it means only the people who live within these specified areas can hunt there no one else can um and this is a federal thing that and there's al- there's almost two two systems that that regulate the the hunting and it's not necessarily supposed to be like that but but it is um with anilka which was the Alaska National Interest Land Claims mm-hmm. Act. I believe I got the acronym right. How
1: did this? How did that little southern piece get pushed through? Did we just not know about it? Did, yeah, did that's just step that's has everyone's radar.
2: I think that's what that's what ended up happening, and why, and because a lot of these, the way they generate these federal subsistence proposals and and actions are, they have these small committees that are made up of local, you know, local representatives, and they can. Submit these proposals to a board that's made up of different user groups and aid managing federal agencies that decide on these federal regulations. So, um, you know, what happens is a local committee decides, well, and what this boils down to is a social issue. They just, they make an argument, they make an argument that you know, we are getting too much outside pressure and we can't meet our subsistence needs, you know, the, the cause is that they take priority, um, right, the needs sure. of them, them being able to get enough meat to, to, to make it. So they claim, you know, they'll claim that they're not getting their needs met to exclude people who don't live there from the area. And the, you know, that got pushed through despite there not being any problems with the caribou herd, um, in that area. Well, this one that's most recent and was m- way more significant in uh, Northwest Alaska would have closed around 60 million acres of federal public land to anybody who doesn't live there. And on the land know,
1: itself, if, on the 16 million acres itself.
2: Yes. Yes. In that, in that area. Initially, I had thought that it was only people who did not live in, in, uh in, what they call non-rural areas, which I live in a small non-rural area. If I lived 50 miles to the South, I would be out of it. And I, in, in some ways like it's convoluted in some ways I would be a, a federal subsistence user, but, um, for that specific area, I would not be. So it's basically to exclude all non-locals. And fortunately we were able to get the word, you know, we were able to get the word out on it and got a lot of feedback and actually forced forced, uh, U S fish and wildlife and the managing agencies to hold a, uh, to, to accept written comp public input. Cause when they put these, these proposals forward, these boards are required to accept public input, but historically a lot of these federal subsistence boards, no one pays attention to it. So they right. never get it. The only input they get is from the few people who want the changes. And if, it, and so the, this stuff just quietly passes and before you know it, yep, you turn yep. around and you don't have access to the land anymore. And I think that's what they were hoping or counting on with this. And fortunately there was enough, there was several hours of, of call in public testimony, um, against, there was only a handful that called in, in favor of it, um, but the and then that was several months ago, and just on the sixteenth of June, the the federal subsistence board met, and I wasn't able to call into the meeting myself. But the the sentiment I got from those who did call in was that a, a bunch of the board wanted to pass it, but they couldn't find any scientific justification, no no um, justification on the herd numbers, the, her, the Northwest Arctic caribou herd, which this was about, is totally healthy mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. the state fishing state fishing game agency who studies it and manages it um, as well as the information provided by this huge interagency working group for that herd um, n- none of them had any information to validate these claims which the claims from the locals were that non-local hunters where they were hunting these caribou was disrupting their migration and they weren't coming right. through the right place at the right time. And it was taking away from their opportunity, which there's, I've never hunted up in that region myself, but, um, talking to people who have, it's just not the case. And there's, there's even been studies involving these agencies that don't support any of that. They don't, they don't support those claims. So
1: but Alaska Game and Fish were Alaska Game and Fish were pretty much in opposition to what this disclosure was about,
2: right? Yeah, completely in opposition. And and aside from Anilka, Alaska Department of Fish and Game, the state is supposed constitutionally is supposed to be managing all the wildlife. Um, it gets a little convoluted because of things like Anilka, right. but right. but no, they completely they completely opposed
1: it, and you know you. Well, isn't that just a massive win that the actual, the, the people on that federal subsistence board wanted to vote it forward,
2: but yeah. actually oh, yeah. it's...
1: saw the justification was not there and almost was like, you know, if this was, you know, you, I don't know if you saw this, if this was the state of Connecticut, they would not give us stuff. And they'd just yeah. pass the damn law, right? they yeah. They don't look at the science. They don't want to listen, but these guys listened.
2: Yeah. And it's, It's, they've listened temporarily. They, they, you, and part of the reason they want to, you can tell they want to pass it so bad is they decided to defer action until 2022. And I think they made some requests for more information, but they, they, they wanted to pass it, but they could not justify passing it with no, no scientific basis for it.
1: Is this an opportunity for us, Tyler? Is it an opportunity for us? They've deferred it for a year. And here's, what's going to happen. And I think we, we shouldn't let this happen. What's going to happen is the hunters have, have cried victory. Yes, we won. And we're going to forget about it. Yeah. And then it's going to come up again and we're going to go, oh, no, 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 no. Instead we should be gathering data. We should be putting proof content together that says, this is the science. This is the evidence. Here's the proof. Yeah. And not be caught unawares, not be caught without pants down in the closet in, you know, in a, in 10 months time.
2: Yep. Yep. And it and just it shows you the, the surprise it was to to the subsistence board and the agency in general that they had initially only scheduled a, you know, I think it was either two or three hour teleconference call in for public input. And that was it. That's all they had all right. scheduled for public input on this this, which, you know, literally would close up sixty million acres. It's enormous. It's un- almost unfathomable how much how much land it just closes up in it and it's worded in a creative way so that it it closed it. in theory, a resident, I could go hunt there at another outside of those times. Non-residents couldn't because that's the their, I believe, a lot of the primary non-local hunters who hunt up there and uh i mean it's carefully crafted and in that time period is primarily when it's fall hunting season you know there are are other times if you needed to go hunt you could a resident could go hunt up there but it's crafted to deal with a social issue um and and it's been a long it's a decades old um sentiment and and on one hand i kind of understand I, I don't I get I can understand people not necessarily wanting a bunch of outside traffic because these areas generally for the vast majority of the year are completely um you know unoccupied aside from the people who live there. They don't have to see anybody, but then this huge rush of hunters they see coming through these small small villages and flying out mm-hmm. to the bush to hunt. Um you know i can understand how that rubs people the wrong way but they you know when things change and there's scientific indications that there's other reasons why the caribou haven't been doing the same things that they expect them to or want them to but you're going to look for an excuse so it's a complicated and frustrating issue but yes so i think that part of that is hoping that everyone forgets about it and that maybe something they'll be able to find something to justify it but that's, you know, the ice is kind of broken already and and the the new and it's so it's so complex all these different levels of regulation and um there are new proposals in a different part of the state that are I think they were published right. just this they were just published this month regarding black-tailed deer.
1: That's right. That's what caused me to reach out to you that I was like holy smokes there's another three coming down the pipeline.
2: Yeah, um a buddy of mine who's on on a, a state advisory committee sent me forwarded me the information about that and that's how I like the, this stuff is kept pretty quiet unless you are making an effort to dig into it and and find it um a lot of the stuff just goes goes unchallenged they uh it's it's a very very similar proposals although this is for a, a the federal board what they were dealing with in the Northwest Northwest Arctic was a called a special action. You know, they made a meeting to make this special proposal and deal with it independently. Well, every, every four years, I believe that board has a cycle of evaluating proposals for just the federal regulations in general. So they can make new regulations that are going to be in effect until if, unless it's changed at the next cycle. And there's, it was just published this month and there's, I thought it was three, but it's four proposals. Um, and, and they have links, the division or the department of interior has links to their proposal book and how to submit um, public comment. But, um, I think it's WP 22, which is a wildlife proposal to 2020 for the year 2022. Yep. Yep. Oh, 0- Oh seven, Oh eight, Oh nine and 10. um, and they deal with a couple, a couple areas. One of them on Admiralty Island is one that people have heard about or part of Admiralty Island and a couple surrounding areas. Uh, two of them are to reduce the bag limit for black deer for non, um, non-qualified users, non-locals. And two of them are to exclude non-locals from federal lands in those areas. Um, which the bag limit is a little bit, most people would give a little bit more leeway or be a little more understanding, but when it's, you know, close federal lands to, to non-locals, it's, uh, it raises some red flags. And I was able to look at the, the department of fishing games draft comments. They're opposing all of these. Again, the state is, Sure, sure um, citing that they've actually recently increased the bag limit there because the deer are doing so well and they've had pretty mild winters and there's relatively little hunting pressure anyway. You know, some of these issues Alaska is a huge state, but some of these issues can pop up from very ice almost isolated incidents and grudges and um, you know, someone gets a chip on their shoulder about something and it and it just snowballs and snowballs and then before you know it
1: yeah i was trying to figure out like where's this coming from right like where is the where's this the sentiment coming from to close all this now obviously there's a little bit of precedence right precedence speaks volumes in yeah in politics essentially so um but that makes sense like you know because the i guess the politics in alaska are so you know so localized yeah that and you've also and you've got the, the marriage of indigenous native lands and federal lands and as you say, Anilic and Alaska Game and Fish. It's a freaking it's a swamp, man, when it comes to figuring it all out.
2: It's way more complicated than it should be. <laughs> but yeah, it's 100%. And, and and a lot of these issues, you know, they
1: it's Where do you think it stems from? Do you think it stems from it Just stems from someone you know just getting butt hurt because a bunch of hunters come in at certain times of the years
2: you know it, a little bit of that sometimes i'm sure I'm sure there's I'm sure there is some truth you know someone in some of these places I'm sure locals have had bad experiences with non- locals you know they'll cite you know without really ever ever documenting stuff you know you'll hear stories of you know, people people being rude, mistreating, um, just not tre- having bad ex- bad run-ins with other people, or, or sure, sure in in all number of ways. You know, people they'll accuse. You know, people have accused you know non locals of of you know saying racial slurs. A lot of the stuff you know you can't discount it because you want to believe people in their you know and take them at their word, but. Um, you know, there the only certain thing is that there is conflict and there has been for a long time. And a lot of it, you know, so, sometimes can come from just a few bad experiences and it paints the way a person, I mean, that's kind of human nature. It paints the way someone will see outsiders and, uh, and then in with very localized, um, systems and how these these things can g- come about it doesn't take it would doesn't take very many people to put things like this into motion you know it's not like a huge majority of, of mm-hmm. people have to have to make a big push to open or you know to to ban a hunt or open this or close that you know sometimes it can start sure. from it may some of these things may start from just a grudge between a couple of people and
1: yeah of course
2: an overtime snowball i'm not saying that i'm not trying to saying that it's absolutely that simple, but it can be, and things like that can happen.
1: Well, it just speaks to, you know, characteristics of hunters, respecting everyone, respecting game, respecting property, respecting lands, and the ramifications of it, that you just have no idea of the ramifications of your actions. And dare I say you have no idea the ramifications of your actions speaks much to social media today and hunting, right? So there's this whole idea that people just, you know, they don't, they're a little ego driven. They're a little egocentric. They're not thinking about anybody else. They're thinking about themselves. And unfortunately it, you know, the bad apples as we've experienced multiple occasions, pretty much every single day, the bad apples in the hunting community are the ones that, you know, cause everything to change for everyone else.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's, yeah, that's the unfortunate truth.
1: Let me ask this is, you know, you went, you've, you've been to South Africa, you almost saw the model there, which is, you know, there's an economic tieback in South Africa, the communities get things from people that hunt. And depending on where you go in South, in, in Africa, that, that changes, right? That expands mm-hmm. significantly. Has nobody ever talked about the idea that these native communities in Alaska and uh, that are on federal lands get some sort of return on the use of their land by hunters
2: um i know not not federal land although they you know some it, there's and there is a lot of native corporations set up with their their allotments of of native land and some of them will um you know, allow hunters to pay trespass fees to hunt there. Some of them won't. Um, but there are some systems like that in which that can benefit the benefit the people. You know, hunters coming in from outside can benefit the community. Um but as far as federal land, no, there isn't anything set like that aside from just the economic benefit that some of that money coming into the community can be. And it may not be major and everything, but um, you know, one example, even sometimes hunters, hunters donating some meat, you know, so, to, to sure, the community. Sure. Um, some people view that as a negative that, you know, oh, these people should be taking all their meat home. Well, some, sometimes it's not, it's not as simple as, as it's not black and white.
1: Why would anybody see that as a negative? Uh,
2: you know, I don't know, because pe- people will revolve back to the idea that, oh, well, you're just up there for your ego to kill. when. It, to My kill an animal problem. and you don't want the meat. Well, it's not that simple. We know it's not that simple. It can't. Hunting is not reduced to just one factor like that. But there was was a uh, a community that when for a few years I was flying into the Brooks Range to go sheep hunting and we'd hire a charter and sometimes they would would shuttle us through and drop us you know at an airstrip in this community on our way in or out and it was kind of a common thing and it wasn't the most friendly community to outsiders, but, um, hunters typically would, you know, some hunters throughout the course of the season would, would donate meat to some of the elders and, and, uh, is just kind of a a good graces type thing. Well then, um, you know, I think, and I think, I don't think it was even a majority of the community. I think a few people decided for made a stink and, um, that air service, you know, the last time I went said, we aren't stopping there because we're not welcome to stop there and then you know the, and we're getting the story from the pilot who who was who a native guy himself and that said well you know because a few of these guys don't want us don't want us there and then other people are you know that were are not hurting maybe but they're losing out because they were getting meat donated to them every sure. single fall sure. you know it's it's just a complex um, it, it seems like way more complex tense of a situation than than it ever should be you know it would mm-hmm. be nice if everybody just treated every treated everybody well and and uh, and got along, but unfortunately, that's not how it works.
1: Yeah, yeah, unfortunately, it doesn't work that way. Tyler, how do we how do we avoid the situation we landed in where everyone had to sort of you know come screaming with their pitchforks? out of the gate to the the teleconference we've got obviously these three proposals that we need to keep our fingers on their pulse to to keep them to keep aware of them and and understand what's happening but how do we how do we more generally if we take a step back like how do we more generally make sure that things don't slip slip through
2: uh uh it's it's tough and it's even tough for me because there's there's a lot going on that it, it it's hard ideally you know, follow, follow these different regulation cycles and what's going on, even at the state level. Sometimes it's hard to, because any person in the state on the state management level can submit proposals for rule changes and you get some pretty crazy ones. Um, but ideally it would be to follow both the state and federal proposals and keep, you know, for this stuff in particular, keeping an eye on the news releases for the, uh, Department of Interior Subsistence I think it's uh like doi.subsistence.gov or something like that. I can I can shoot you the website.
1: Yeah, shoot me the website. Cuz I'm sure there's there'll probably be a mail list that you can sign up for or something like that.
2: Yeah, yeah, for the for the short term, I would say, you know, we have to at least give some public in, you know, feedback or input like on these proposals. Public input is only open till July 19th. So they just published the proposals to, you know, potentially close down this bunch of federal land for four years at least. And you, you know, and they don't, they put the news release out. They do the minimum amount required by law to notify people, you know, they're not going to go shouting it from the rooftops. And, uh, you know, fortunately this last one, I was able to make enough of a, of a, of a stink to get even, you know, quote-unquote public lands oriented organizations to to get you know aware of it and and give their you know their opposition to it and hopefully hopefully that'll happen with that'll happen with these two but unfortunately i think this is going to keep cycling and coming up in different places it could be until it passes and someone gets cited someone gets a ticket and has to take it all the way to the supreme court to Mm
0: -hmm. overturn
2: it i'm Uh, unfortunately there's a few, you know, some stuff in Alaska that's been happening in the last 10 years that, you know, that's what it's taken to get this precedent set. Um, and that, that's kind of a different, a different issue in particular, but it involves these federal agencies and, you know, they're, they're not always the most friendly agencies to hunters or, um, you know, people getting out to enjoy Alaska in general, that's not, that's not universal, but there's, you get individuals in these uh, you know, pos- positions of power in these federal agencies that certainly facilitate, um, facilitate things that will, or actions that will reduce the number of people in, in their lands or what they call their lands. It's all, it's our land, but they don't always mm-hmm. view it
1: like that. Sure. 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 Well, I think people like the hat that you're wearing Sportsman's Alliance, they're a great group that keeps oh, you yeah. on the pulse in terms of uh, the content and uh, that's coming not the content. The laws and regulations that are coming out they're they're a great organization and really like what they do. And then, um, I would encourage you to lean on us. You know we want to yeah. help you. We want to put the a voice out there if, if there's anything that we can do to lend our support to making sure people are aware of what's going on and how they can help. We're, we're always here to help.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It, we're going to need, we're going to need, it's going to take more than more than just us to, to keep it open. Cause there's, you know, it's, there's a lot of implications to it. You know, we live in, I live in, in, it's an incredible place and we want to, you know, keep it, keep reasonable access for, for people to enjoy it. You know, it's, it, it there's, there are, there are entities and people who want to either keep it for themselves or, or lock it away, and you know we want to, we want to, want to keep it
0: going.
1: <laughs> Absolutely, we all do. We all do, especially for, you know, I've, as I said, I've never been to Alaska. I want to go to Alaska. I want to hunt Alaska. And I want my kids to hunt Alaska, or just have the opportunity to hunt Alaska. And so, if we, if that's going to happen, we need to make sure that we're keeping our fingers on the pulse of regulations that are changing now. So Tyler, thank yep. you, my friend.
2: No, thanks. Baby.
1: We're going to drop this pretty quickly after we discuss. I'm glad we could connect because I know you got a couple of busy days in front of you. Um, yeah. And uh, I'll let you. I'll let you know when it drops. But yeah, thank you, thank you for keeping us Perfect. abreast. Thank you for fighting for us, man, out there.
2: Yeah. No. Just I. I feel like I don't do very much, but I am
1: doing doing what I can. <laughs> No, you're doing a tremendous job and uh, really enjoy your riding. I know a lot of people enjoy your outdoor life riding, so uh, keep it up. Keep us abreast. Let us know how we can help you, okay? All right, I sure will. Thanks. Well, that's it for today. I appreciate you listening, as always. Leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting.
0: Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors, every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. Join Captain Justin Leake and Meredith McCord for the best fishing action along Panama City Beach. Tune in to Chasin' the Sun every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.